Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Talking Dean podcast. I'm your host Majid and uh, I have with me the main man with the master plan, Brother Rush. And also uh, someone from the shadows, actually uh, a debut for Brother Cam, who is uh, our techie. He does all the techie work and we had to uh, drag him onto a podcast today because we need to get his views as well. And also we have uh, return of Imi. Uh, the brother Subhanallah joined us uh, a few podcasts ago and uh, you know we we're really excited to, uh, to get him back on. Uh, so brothers... Do you want to give salam to the audience? Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum. Okay, okay. Um, all right, cool. So first of all, we got to say Ramadan Kareem to to all the listeners out there. Uh, you know, uh, I pray, we pray that everyone has a blessed Ramadan and that we can uh, make the most of it and attain Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's mercy through this month. And uh, I'm sure you guys have got a lot to say about your experiences within Ramadan. So, uh, so guys, how's Ramadan been going? been a weird one really it's been a really really strange one um only because we're so used to that close-knit community of you know not just family but seeing other muslim brothers um obviously tarawi and even just going out and doing iftari together with you know with the lads and you know chicken shop sort of thing <laughs> it's, it's been a, yeah it's been it's been strange but alhamdulillah you know we're all healthy and everybody's still Okay, from sort of from my sort of immediate family, but obviously there's a lot in the ummah that have suffered from this um, disease. Um, but yeah, all we can say is alham- alhamdulillah. And it's been it's been strange, really. Yeah, yeah. You can't put a finger on it, but it's. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure this will probably be the last. Inshallah, we'll see. Inshallah. If it, you know, unless there's a a new strain out there that's going to get us all again after after we all get jabbed. You know what? I never thought I'd say this, but I'm actually missing being shoulder to shoulder with someone in Tarawi, even though they might be burping whatever they've been eating at iftar. <laughs> and sometimes it was not pleasant. But you know what? Being that gap and some mosques have taken a bit too far. Whereas, you know, it's like, okay, the rule might be, you know, keep a meter or something apart. But some mosques is like, you know, very far. And it doesn't feel right praying yeah. like that i know okay we should say alhamdulillah at least we're in the mosque last ramadan we weren't to, to do tarawi but progress yeah it's progress but it doesn't feel the same you know there, there's definitely hikmah in standing shoulder to shoulder and really feeling that um connection whereas as soon as you just detach that little bit it just genuinely feels like you're a bit detached so that's the element of it that i've, I've not overly i found that a bit strange yeah, the, the close interaction and the social element of it is uh, is missing. But the mm. chap burping, uh, maybe he's going to take his own medicine now. We've got his mask on so he can smell his own burp. <laughs> you know what, though, to be honest with you, uh, the mosque I, I generally I go to regularly um, is like one meter apart. Okay. But I did, I did one of the last few days, I'm not going to mention the mosque. And I, I went to this mosque because they were praying a bit later. And uh, Honestly, subhanAllah, it was like you stand there, then you have three three uh, uh, prayer mats space, then oh, the other person. Yeah. And I, honestly, it, it felt I felt more more together praying at home mm, uh, yeah. than I did in the mosque, and it was it was yeah. quite strange. One thing that it annoys me a little bit, I think, you know, it feels like sometimes the sort of the Muslim community, or especially the mosques, 
they follow the COVID rules more <laughs> sort of militaristically than than the the non-Muslims in this country. But you know what it is the what is the come is is I don't know about all of them, but I know some of them because they know that the they they know that these mans need any excuse to try to shut the mosque down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why what they say is, guys, listen, let's let's try to you know, and so like you're saying, some guys go over the top. Yeah, well, yeah. the first-hand experience of that is that one our local mosque, there was um, a police van outside monitoring during Jummah this Friday gone. Really? Subhanallah. Yeah, so, and this is the same time. Remember, Friday was quite a nice day. The pubs yeah. were... Rampacked. Rampacked, exactly. And we, we drove past a pub where literally everybody's sitting outside, very close together. You know, there was hundreds of people. And here are the police in front of a mosque. And the mosque's done so much to, you know, maintain social distancing. And so you just, you can see it in, in the behavior of the forces that, you know, there's that discrimination. But yeah, I think I'll that's see. the reason why. I think that's the reason why the mosques are enforcing it. Yeah, I'll just say that even uh, on the first uh, Tarawi, I was just thinking to myself that this is the first one. And before you know it, it'll be the last one. Yeah, because mm-hmm. time goes so quick. Yeah, so quick. And then you're always going to think that could I have done something more or could I have just exerted my energies a bit more in Ramadan? You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. time goes yeah, so quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously, you know, Alhamdulillah, it was good because you thought that on the first day and now you're doing a podcast with us. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you're, well, yeah, yeah. you're doing the right things. You get me, bro. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. you, man. Get you. <laughs> but you know, listen. One thing before 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 we start going into the main topics, right? Tell me, guys, right? I know. To me, fasting, honestly, the 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 food side of it, the the thirst side of it, it doesn't bother me at all, right? And it didn't bother me even when there was like almost twenty three hours fast. But this Ramadan, I've felt cold. I don't know if anyone can share that with me, yeah, but I've felt freezing, <laughs> man. So. Is it just me, or, or is it, or is that something you, you guys you experience? Must, you must be getting old. Getting old. That's what I was gonna say. You're getting old, mate. It must be, man. It must be. Honestly, I've just felt really, really cold. But anyway, listen. Let's move on because otherwise, my age and stuff is gonna come into question here, right? So, so okay, we got a, a couple of segments lined up, um, and you know the juicy panel, some juicy segments. So, inshallah, ta'ala, um, hopefully, we can benefit from this discussion. Um, so, the the first segment. I want to speak about is uh, something that's actually kicking off big time right now in Pakistan. Uh, we know the issue to do with the, uh, the I think it's Saad Rizvi. Saad Rizvi, he was arrested and his group have uh, basically came out in protesting and now Pakistan have actually banned that group under the anti-terror laws, right? So a lot's cracking off. Um, so, Imi, I'm going to ask you first, bro. Tell us what's up yeah. in Pakistan, just in case someone doesn't know. Maybe mm-hmm. just gives a brief description of, of what's going on and what, what what are your thoughts on on this you know uh, issue? Yeah, um, to start off with, I think the the cartoon issue is it's been happening continuously with the French anyway. Yeah, but uh, in October last year is when uh, the cartoons uh, came out and uh, Macron said that look, we're going to defend our freedom of speech and we're going to continue with the cartoons regardless. So that was back in October. But recently, in just a few days ago, uh, in Ramadan, all of a sudden the protests uh, broke out in uh, in Pakistan, where the TLP, they obviously the, the the leader got arrested, and they're demanding the removal of the French uh, ambassador. So the question is, why are they protesting now, and why do they want the French ambassador to be removed? Because removing the French ambassador won't stop the in regards to the timing i'm mm. sure it's because there was a deadline given it was a deadline given in regards to removing this guy and 
and and that was actually I think it's twentieth of April. Yeah, twentieth April. That's right. In a few, in a couple of days, twentieth April. So, so there is there is a link yeah. to the timing. There is a yes. Link to the timing. So they gave a deadline. The TLP gave a deadline of twentieth of April. Otherwise, they're going to do a long march to uh, Islamabad. But the thoughts that I have on it is that the TLP, they weren't. They're not a jihadi organization. They're from the Brovi uh, uh, side of things. Yeah. Okay. So. As we know, in Afghanistan, back in the day, in 80s and 90s, the jihadis, they were the Diobandis who were mm. taking part in the uh, jihad, yeah? And it was, obviously, we know that the war against uh, the Soviets was uh, financed by Saudis and the intelligence agency, intelligence was provided by, and the fighters were provided by Pakistan. Okay. So so back then, General Zia, he's the one who uh, funded and gave the, the, the training and the madrasas were based on these jihadi fighters from, uh, if you could call them that, the, uh, on, from the Diobandi background. But then when Musharraf came over, his war on Islam on terror was quite harsh. So he cracked down on the Diobandis and he gave the Brovis an open hand kind of thing, as long as they don't cause him any trouble. Right. So the TLP are from the Brovi, uh, from the Brovi side, yeah? So there's two things which my thoughts are on. First of all is that Pakistan, they're on the FATF, which is a financial action task force. Yeah, they're on the grey list at the moment. Yeah, uh, so this is based in Paris. Yeah, but and it's supported by the Americans as well. So right. basically, if you get on the red list, it's like a governing body, like a watchdog. If you become on the, on the red list, then you can't get any loans from the IMF and you, your, the, the development of the nation, it becomes stagnated. So the economy is really, really bad for the economy. And the last thing that Pakistan wants is to become on the red list. So there's no development for it. As we know, the uh, Pakistan has got a close relationship with China regarding CPEC and the Belt and Road Initiative. And America doesn't like this. So for America and the West, and particularly India as well, if if Pakistan goes on the red list, yeah, then it's, they know that it's going to it's going to cause uh, hindrance to China in terms of CPEC and the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, so they either TLP are being used knowingly or unknowingly, yeah, to create these protests, saying that look, Pakistan can't the regime itself it cannot control these mullahs. Yeah, mm. so the mullahs are the ones who are controlling. Pakistan. So that puts them on the red list. Or internally, the TLP have been activated in order to create this protest. So the government has got to show the West that, look, we're cracking down on yeah. these, uh, you know, these fundamentalists. Yeah. And then we don't want to be on the on that list anymore. So you take us off because they, the FATF, they had a meeting in February and they said that 70 percent of uh, the conditions have been met by Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Apart from a certain few, yeah. So if they meet these certain few conditions, then we'll remove Pakistan from this uh, list, basically. So again, it's the energies of the Muslims that are being used, either by foreign forces or internally, and the Muslims are, you know, becoming emotionally and politically naive as well because th these protests don't really achieve anything apart from someone else's agenda. It doesn't further Islam or doesn't benefit the Muslims in any way. You know, so it's either, as far as my, my thinking is concerned, it's either foreign backed, you know, like just like the Arab Springs was. It started off genuine, 
but then they're the ones who directed it and uh, drove it in a certain direction in order to create chaos and anarchy. And a similar thing in uh, Pakistan, that's probably what they want in Pakistan. And internally, uh, the government wants to be seen that it's doing something against Islamic extremism in order for it to be removed uh, off the list. Okay, any of you other guys got any comments on that? Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's quite an interesting way to look at it because, to be fair, I wasn't too savvy on the politics of what's going on in, in Pakistan. But remember, we spoke about the obviously the protests that happened in Bangladesh in the previous podcast about obviously this issue of, you know, be it blasphemy, be it these abhorrent, and I always say abhorrent cartoons because as i said last time when they just say cartoons it doesn't signify just how bad these things are so and i think this highlights that i do think there's that foreign element to it i think it's intentional to you know obviously with france being the way they are brazen about their you know islamophobia i think it allows what that rhetoric does is it allows those countries where there are muslims who will rise immediately at anything being said about their beloved prophet then it creates that heat and it's that heat that they're trying to use so what we're seeing i think in pakistan at the moment is that you know that heat that's been created on the ground look at how it's been steered those many muslims are now you know there was some support you know there's support for uh, imran khan previously but this has even those people who have supported him in the past they're saying wait there a minute these guys are speaking out about something that we we hold dearly they're they're against blasphemy they're against people speaking out you know cartoons of the prophet and now you're locking up the leader who has spoken some things that you know a lot of things that are correct so that's causing a lot of rift in the in the population there from what i can certainly see from the outside and all that does is you know take the the zeal of the ummah steer it in a certain direction and actually people are dying people are suffering that i think we've heard recently similar to bangladesh people going into or the um the police going into mosques and shooting people or attacking people so those are the type of things you know that doesn't that doesn't benefit the, a Muslim country and a Muslim nation, and it's certainly causing divisions amongst people. So I think okay. it's quite dangerous. Mm. I think that's why, to be honest with you, what you're saying there is the the, re, the way the government and Imran Khan is trying to style this is what he's saying is look, the issue here is that uh, in a way these guys challenge the government, mm. and we can't allow this. So they moved away, and uh, people have been sending a lot of clips from the Palestine uh, from Palestine from the Pakistani Parliament where people are speaking and even the, the chair of the parliament, he's saying, look, we are all Ashke Rasul. Everyone in here is Ashke Rasul. So they're, they're taking it away from the issue of saying these guys got locked up because they're protesting against the cartoons. Mm. But what they're doing is what they are saying is that these guys have actually gone out and challenged the government. Uh, in a way, what they're trying to say is they, they rebelled against the government to a certain degree. And that's something which we can't accept. That's how they they they're styling that out. I've seen uh, I've seen videos where the protesters they're actually battering the police and the army. And there's been quite well, a few deaths as well. Though. It's not good though, is it? It's, it's not it's not it's not good at all. It's not good at all. That's what I mean. It doesn't benefit Islam. It doesn't benefit the Muslims because then they they the the police and the army they're from amongst the population, mm. so they share the same thoughts, the same emotions as the normal person does on the 
in in you know in society. It is not that the police or the army are from a complete different spectrum of society where the thoughts or the emotions doesn't affect them. So when yeah. someone dishonors the Prophet, I'm sure they feel the same. Uh, yeah, I'm sure this is you know, it's the same anger as well. But just how you direct that anger, and this has been a problem with, for the Muslim in particular subcontinent as well. They're very emotional, and yeah. you know, so th these emotions need to be guided by the thought in the correct direction. I'll give you the example of uh, when the we will know the example of uh, when the French put a play on uh, mm -hmm. trying to insult the Prophet mm -hmm. and then Sultan Abdul Hamid he called the ambassador. He said, stop the play, otherwise mm -hmm. I'm going to send an army if you don't. Yeah, so just by removing an ambassador we won't necessarily stop these things from happening. So we've got to look at the bigger picture of how can we stop as an ummah, how can we but, stop? But, but what insults? do you think What do you think Imran Khan should do? Do you, do you think he's stuck? Do you think he's in a place where he's trying to appease the, because he's always tried to appease the Islamic side. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that he that was an act, but you can see that definitely even before he came into power, he, he touched upon sentiments like about uh, Dr. Uh, Afia Siddiqui, mm. uh, about always always talking about the, the Pakistan Taliban by saying, mm. look, these we need to sit down with them. They are our brothers and, and the Medina state, the Medina mm. model. So you can see that he's always trying to give that Islamic vibe, whether that's because it's just for the, the votes or whether it isn't, Allah alam. But um, what, what I mean, should, do you think that Pakistan should have listened to the demands of the TLP and uh, dismissed the French from the country or... Or, or do you think that he, he what they've done is is the only because either they removed the, the French or either they have problems with these people. You it's one or the other, isn't it? You could, mm. there's no so so what what should Pakistan have done? I mean, you're on about police officers and the military that are going out. They they just listen to orders, don't they? Mm. They just they just commanded to go out and then they're getting battered mm. probably for the by people who are who have the same emotions as I was saying. But what should have the, I mean, in your own opinion, you know, or any of you guys, what, what should have been the uh, reaction of the Pakistanis? Should they have uh, removed the French? Or is it a case of, well, look, the French have been doing this for ages. We just got to continue as, as it is. I, I think with um, Imran Khan, he's, he's, he's almost shot himself in the foot with this one. Um, it's because other leaders, such as if you, if you make parallels with Erdogan, they've made other sort of inroads and in ways in various other projects which gives them leeway with other international powers now Imran Khan he's he's not got any leeway anywhere really um his so he's got a very powerful military behind him that sit on the barracks and do nothing so they could have easily been um mediators in the Afghan um issue more more closely than they already are um they could have easily um been a bit more forefront with the Kashmir issue so they could have showed their strength, but because they've never shown their strength, people like, and France are weak, like as soon as Turkey showed a bit of uh, a strength to, to, the, to the French, they, they, what did they do? There was no response, you know, when, um, when, when an Erdogan was saying um, about the boycott of the of French goods and things like that. And there was not really, there was muted response really from France and they couldn't really stop, stop, um, stop it. Uh, and that's when they started coming out and saying uh, foolish statements like it's hurting them. And then everyone realized, oh, wait a minute, this is working, you know. So I think Imran Khan, similarly, he, he could have followed a bit it, with a bit more, um, I don't know, political will like Erdogan has um, and, and done a few more maneuvers 
uh, in his sort of uh, near abroad, but because he hasn't over over the years, uh, even this issue of um, going onto the red list, why is he relying on just that avenue for his uh, sort of economic uh, independence? But would you not say that this this actually further highlights, and I think to be honest with you, um, going back to Imi's point, and I think what he tried to illustrate with the example of uh, uh, Sultan Abdul Hamid II, Rahimullah, was that you know he had the Islamic authority behind him. So you could have someone who's genuine. I mean, Erdogan, you can't really compare him to, to, uh, to Pakistan because Pakistan is a subordinate state mm. in the sense like it's, tr- it's totally enslaved. Um, whilst Turkey, you can see over the last few years, they, ha- they are becoming more independent. Um, so they can probably do those maneuvers. But with Pakistan, yeah. it just further highlights that you could have a person who's genuine in power but if the system's not there, if the backing's not there, if the deep state's not there for Islam. But, but that's the key point that I think you just made. It's worth that's why it's worth comparing because what Erdogan's done, and this is not specifically to give a person credit himself, but what he's managed to do is um, purge the deep state. That means he has more control. Whether his maneuver is an Islamic maneuver or otherwise, he has more control now. Whereas in in Pakistan, unless you tell me otherwise, he, Imran Khan hasn't been able to do the same. The deep state is still the deep state. The deep state still has control and is the strings of the deep state are still held by America. So, yeah. in, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's an the, example. Yeah, I, I agree with that because Imran Khan, I think Imran Khan is just a token uh, leader. Mm-hmm. That goes without, I think, majority of the countries because then there is a deep state that runs the uh, the policies and the affairs. Uh, for example, the remember when uh, Imran Khan um, tried to get the loan from uh, Saudi Arabia, mm. yeah, which was the American plan to bring it back to on on uh, bring it on to its side and get re- reduce the influence of China. But the uh, Army General Bajwa, he without even Imran Khan's consent, he went to China and signed the uh, CPEC and the BRI deal himself. You know. So it just goes to show that Imran Khan, he could try a lot of things, but it doesn't really, uh, it won't work until the, those who are in real authority, until they don't actually uh, change and get uh, behind the good person who wants uh, a good change. Yeah, you know what? It's actually quite sad because like you say, remember when he came into charge and, you know, he talked about the Medina Charter and he talked about all, you know, use the Islamic sentiment and people immediately, you know, like, you know, everybody, the Muslim Ummah is yearning for these leaders to be uh-huh. the right type of leader, you know, to, you know, be an Islamic leader, push an Islamic um, sentiment further forward. But it just goes to say, it goes to show that we get duped quite easily and and it, they steer our emotion. But it does yeah. highlight that that's, those are the feelings that the Muslim Ummah want to be progressed. Yeah, and, and, and I think the Muslim Ummah, not just in, in Pakistan shows that, Bangladesh shows that across the Arab mm. world, it shows that the Muslim Ummah is is therefore revival because it's got that within its in its innate nature mm-hmm. that it's suitable for revival because every time something happens about Islam or they want change, they're out there in the streets. But it's the it's, it's the foreign powers who put them who create certain peripheral issues, side issues for them to concentrate on rather than going to the main issue. Like we said that these protests, all right, you're gonna get rid of the French ambassador, but what? The insults are still gonna continue. You need an entity, an authority, which will unify all the Muslims together with their military and resources, etc. And then you can stop these. Then, and then you could say to the French, mm. that, look, or whoever, to stop these insults, and, that, and then that will work. 
that's a good point in me because you know in reality if you think about it if they did remove the french ambassador as a nation state pakistan it depends on all these other countries mm. anyway it's yeah, like yeah. you know what i mean it's like yeah. it, it wouldn't make it sense yeah. to to mm. because based on 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 the way it's set up it's not an islamic state Mm. So, you know, it's not going to conduct himself itself as an Islamic state. So if it severs ties with France, it's going to hit the, it's going to, A, it's going to hit that, um, you mentioned the FA, TF. It, FATF, FATF. Yeah. then, you know, I'm sh- sure, uh, surely there's going to be some economic ties or, or so on. It just, it just doesn't make sense mm. on this from, but if it was a state like, like the state of the Ottomans, who at the time they called the French ambassador said, listen, you best stop this or we're going to deal with you, right? Mm. Mm. Their basis was Islam, mm. so they couldn't accept this. So I think I think that's a really good point. So so before we move on to the next segment, uh, any final thoughts on what do you think is going to happen next? I I don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe the others can add something. One just quick point I wanted to make about that though yeah, yeah, sure, is sure. just just to say you know the FATF that um, Imran mentioned, those kind of things just remind me of the fact that you know like when they talk about IMF loans and structural, what is it, structural adjustment policies and ways to subjugate Muslim lands in other means. So sometimes we think, oh, um, it's a Muslim country. Why don't they do more? Um, Or why don't they implement Islam or other things? It's Mm. these little tentacles of the West that are in our lands. And that FATF thing is a tentacle in that Mm. what it does is it says, look, we're not going to trade with you until you get out of the, I think, like it's called the grey If you stay in the grey list, that's fine. We'll, we'll trade with you as soon as you drop into the red. Or is, the, is it the blacklist? I'm not sure. I've read the red list on, red list. on one and red list on another mm. document. But they're saying as soon as you um, promote or you even, I think it's to do with the fact that um, if there's any organization in your country that has absolutely any link to political islam mm. then it's quite easy to put them on that list and mm. say these lot are a terrorist organization remember it's not the country itself that decide who goes on the list of terrorist organization it Crazy. tends to be the un and america so mm. they can just sit on the outside and go oh you've got a movement in your country and remember they can do this to any country they can turn around and say in your country there is a rise of islam it's linked to a particular party or a particular group. We've decided, not you, not you and your country, we've decided that that organization is a terrorist organization mm. just because it wants something different to democracy, remember? It wants something different to de- democracy. We've now decided they're a terrorist organization. If you don't ban them, then we're not trading with you. And just goes yeah, to prove yeah. how difficult it is for a Muslim nation to continue to progress especially economically, when those kind of pressures are put on them. I just thought yeah. that was something that... No, that's, would... a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a top point, yeah. Solid point. Yeah, solid point, yeah. You said tentacles, the, the chains, you know, because yeah. to, to actually enslave the Muslims further, because that's what... That's, all these FATF, for example, is, it's a tool which the colonials use mm. in order to put the Muslims further into their demise, you know. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to break them shackles and become independent. Definitely, and the only way you could become independent if you got the the Muslims with the correct understanding on the, on on your on your side. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe to all of our socials, especially YouTube. And if for any reason you're not enjoying this podcast, then please make sure 
to contact us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what we can do better and how we can improve. Jazakallah khair. Cool, man. So, um... yeah, so, so uh, question to, uh, answer to your question, Maj, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but <laughs> time will tell, but it depends who's the, obviously whose agenda is being served and what the mm. objective is. So we'll A lot find of people out. are shouting civil war. A lot of yeah. people are saying civil war in Pakistan. Is that realistic? No, it's not. Well, if the West want it, then it's realistic. If they don't want it, then it's not realistic. That's that's the reality of it. Because, could you know, it, could uh, it be, just, I know this is a question. Could it be, you know, like obviously Imran Khan, they, he was pushing things like, you know, when he pushed the Ertural series, mm-hmm. when he was pushing kind of other Islamic, you know, they seem to be in similar to what we're seeing in Turkey. There seemed to be a progression towards, you know, satisfying the people with a more of an Islamic mm-hmm. tendencies. It certainly, you know, yeah. as it goes back to what Cam said, the fact that if you look at Erdogan, uh, over twenty years or plus, mm-hmm. what he what he did was he came in and and uh, he changed the situation. Mm-hmm. He purged the deep state. Um, even even when he when he brought those new presidential powers in, so he's at a stage now where he can do all of that because he's at that stage. Imran Khan, mm-hmm. even though he uh, in, as an individual would like that but you know he's at the mercy of uh, he's like a he's like a kurbani lamb waiting <laughs> to be slaughtered and, and and really that that is that is just the way it is and and sometimes you think why even go why even enter this uh sphere of politics when you know you're not going to have any power but mm. allah alam what their intentions are but you know i think there's differences but it's okay let, let's let's move on to the next next segment, which is also another really interesting one, which we see is over the last few days, there's been a lot of talk from uh, Afghanistan. Uh, there's talk that uh, the Americans and the UK forces will will leave Afghanistan by, I think they said September 11th. Um, it, it just we have a joke that they chose that day. Um, but nevertheless, a lot of people are promoting this as a victory for the Taliban, uh, even in some interviews. Uh, with some uh, key Taliban commanders, you know, their their talk is, look, you know, uh, it's about implementing Sharia, it's about fighting jihad. Um, so the thing is, is the question is, and which which I want to pose to to you guys, and we can discuss it. Um, you know, is this is this a victory for for the Taliban, or have has America achieved its objectives of what it wanted to do, and has chosen this time to be the right time to to leave? Uh, Cam, I'll start with you, bro. What's your thoughts? I think uh, with Afghanistan, it's easy to, to sit back and say, oh, America went in there because there's some form of Islamic sentiment there that they were trying to quell, and it's a part of um, America's plan to um, sort of just attack Islam and Muslims, right? It's That's a very sort of broad statement to make. And yes, that's the correct in terms of... Uh, Globally, yes, that's what their aim is, and we know that just from an Islamic perspective. But you have to, with Afghanistan, you have to look at its strategic uh, importance as well to the US. So um, Afghanistan borders almost, I think, five to six countries, and most importantly, Iran, Pakistan, and China. China, very very small land, and it's a landlocked piece of country as well, the most mountainous part of the world they used to call the roof of the world because of how many mountains there are and how difficult the terrain is there. Um, second point is Afghanistan has the Khyber Pass, right? And that's one of the most strategic um, locations to import various types of goods, whether that's military goods, 
or anything because of the mountainous ranges there that it makes it very difficult for it to be um, essentially a target. So whoever controls that area or controls Khyber Pass generally will have a lot of uh, importance in, in sort of geopolitical um, sort of narratives around that area. Um, thirdly, um, any sort of potential Islamic revival in the Middle East will, having any control in Afghanistan, you're cutting off the head of the snake because Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, where almost half the Muslim population of the world reside, will not be able to make it make their way into uh, the Middle East because they have to go through Afghanistan, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of what you'd say hikmah from America's side when they when they chose to uh, invade Afghanistan originally, um, and not only that, it's also become now more in modern times more important for America in terms of the I think Imi mentioned as well earlier the the one belt one road policy, so. China's inway into Europe is through Afghanistan and into Iran as well. So that Khyber Pass or even the pipelines that go through Afghanistan, that is the inway into that part of the world. Now, the, if, if, you do, if America have any form of control or any form of dominance over that area, then that really scuppers the plan of the One Belt, One Road policy or the dream that they have. And instead, there's a different policy, which the Americans call the New Silk Road, right? And this was uh, coined by... Uh, Hillary Clinton in 2011 sometime, where she mentioned from, and this is uh, uh, sort of exclusively from Afghanistan towards the Middle East, right? And it's anything east of Afghanistan, they didn't, it wasn't anything to do with them. It's purely that the new Silk Road would have gone from Afghanistan through into the, through the Middle East, through to Europe. Now, um, if that, if America, like, like I said, if America has any control over that, that area, then really that scuppers the plan of of China or any other ambitions they have for this one belt, one road. Um, and if you look closely into the, the document that was signed by the Taliban, right? Yes, it's, it's all roses and tulips when it says uh, America and, and um, British forces and whoever forces that are there. It's usually, it's the ISAF forces, the International Security Forces, not just American forces. These are forces from all over the world that have, uh, that have um, joined America's um, sort of- Coalition. So Americans, yeah coalition and say so joined a force to sort of basically man Afghanistan now yes it's all great and well that they're going to leave but what was those terms if you look in detail one of the main terms in that agreement said if Afghanistan or any or Taliban or anyone who is in power in in that region of the world go against American security then this peace agreement is over meaning we're going to be back in there with soldiers or we're going to be back in there in any form. Basically, you're, you're going against agreement. Now, what does it mean by American security? That's so broad. That could mean attacking any American soldier uh, here in, in this land as well as in America. So they could easily stage another Taliban attack if they wanted to in America and say, oh, it's Taliban, by the way. Oh, I, we need to go back in there. They could, the security could also mean that uh, China aren't allowed to use any of their trade routes, any of the, any of the um, pipelines. The security could also mean that they could use Afghanistan for any future war with Iran, Pakistan, Russia, any of the, any of Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, all of these countries that border it, right? So they, this Afghanistan has always been known historically as the most strategic part of the world for that, for that part of the world, because they are basically, yeah, like they've got the higher vantage point over every other country and you can, you can deploy as much as you want there and, and really just, you dictate what happens around you because you stop the trade routes, you stop everything from either side, 
So that's why I don't think it's just a case of, oh, Taliban have, have succeeded in getting America out there. Look at the plan, uh, look, at the, look at the detail uh, in the actual document. You'll find that actually America may have, may have won themselves because we know America doesn't now, they've realized, um, and maybe not initially, they've realized that putting soldiers on the, on the ground isn't the way to really spread their, their ideology. Because it was a it, what's happened in Iraq, what's happened in Afghanistan, what's happened wherever they've done that has backfired on them. It almost, it's created a more resentment towards their ideology. Nobody wants democracy. Nobody wants capitalism. In the detail, you can see that America has achieved something here, and they don't need boots on the ground to 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 control a nation. And we know that now, you know, through their media, through their proxy um, armies, through another point was actually Islamic State in Khorasan. There was a, a report from a Russian, uh, I think the, the Security Council in Russia, they mentioned that ma- most of the members of Islamic State in Khorasan were um, shipped over from, from Syria by the US with the, with the support of US. And why are they in, um, in Afghanistan? Because um, they wanted to em- uh, embroil Taliban in, into this sort of war between Taliban and, and, and IS. And they have been in uh, sort of warring for the last uh, a couple of years now. And it's created that... Um, that notion that if there is any form of Islamic state that wants to go against the Taliban or their rule, then they will fight it. Now, say say this Islamic state wasn't, you know, it, and we know that they're not a they're not a real state, and they were really been forced together by by uh, sort of intelligence agencies. But say there was a real Islamic state, would that still continue? Would would the Taliban then be the force to say, you know what, we don't want you because we want we want to keep power and they'll fight them. If they're fighting them already, based on the limited knowledge they know about IS, then why wouldn't they fight them in future? So there's many, many aspects to this that you have to look at and, and you think actually America might be might be doing plan B here now, not or plan C or plan D. It's not plan A, yes, it, it didn't work in terms of the way they wanted to spread democracy and the ideology. They didn't, it doesn't mean that they've lost. You know, they've got many plans that 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 might that may succeed in the future. That, that, that's why um, that, that's why I mentioned the fact that had they achieved some objectives, because surely, mm. surely they would not have wanted uh, Afghanistan to be as it is now. Surely no. they would have wanted the Afghan people to accept exactly. democracy, to accept their way of life, and women throw off the the burqa and and men, you know go for uh, a, tr- a trim it, it, it yeah. never happened people never accepted no. it um so and just to quickly quickly add the bagram air base isn't being taken down they're actually building more barracks there even though they're leaving <laughs> why are they building more barracks there you know that, that was going to be one of the questions because they've got massive bases there massive mm. bases the, the kandahar international airport was made by america um, during the during the Soviet World War with the Soviets in 1960s, they built that as a military a- a airport to in case they ever need to go back and fight the fight the Russians. Now that that airport is still controlled by the US and can still be used for future wars in that region. You know, so there's many things that they've not done and they've kept sort of secondary plans there and they've just said in the media that oh yeah we're, we're pulling our troops out and which what if they just pull out american troops what about the, all the international troops that they mention in their document that they're going to continue to support who are those troops there could be just as many of those international troops you know, that, you know one thing i want to say and, and open up to the other guys as well is the fact that some people might listening might say look you're doing a disservice to your taliban the mm-hmm. fact that you know uh, America went there and we know that America had okay uh, compared to the surge and the amount of troops they had in the, the in Iraq it was different and we know why because 
Iraq made up the heart of the Arab land, and, and we know that's what their main objective was. Nevertheless, they have tried to defeat the Taliban, mm. um, unless you can say oh, yeah. that, that's no, not no, the case. No, no, definitely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the point I'm saying is the fact that is there a case where, um, yeah, they might have achieved some objectives, but in reality, um, they, were forced they, to couldn't, go they, down they couldn't beat the Taliban. So I mean, yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you guys think of this? Any, any other opinion? Yeah, no, I think it's quite interesting because I think both sides are presenting it as somewhat of a victory, especially the Taliban more so because it appears more as a victory for them because it's the US that are pulling out. Yeah. So from their point of view, when they promote it as more of a victory, they're saying, look, these guys came in, they wanted to get rid of us. We're still here. So it's quite easy for them to present it as a victory. And your point is correct that they did achieve that. They did achieve not getting wiped out, considering US are the superpower of the world with all of the foreign, you know, all of the military budget, all of the technology, everything like that. And they weren't able to wipe out the Taliban. So in that respect, it's a victory for the Taliban, isn't it? Just specifically about that. But Cam's points are are key in that even the, the US, even if it may look like they're going away with their tails between their legs yeah they've achieved a lot of strategic objectives in the region and if they hadn't done they absolutely would not be would not be leaving and when we say leaving they're not leaving like say they're leaving behind many structures and many you know they've even said we're going to have a a force there that's going to oversee what's happening there they've not said where they might even say it's going to be outside the borders of afghanistan but they're saying that we're not completely pulling out in terms of we're still overseeing the situation. Yeah. I'll tell you what, they'll and, be overseeing Afghanistan with their drones as well. They don't exactly, have to be there, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and don't get me wrong, in terms of militarily, they, they've gone out with a bloody nose. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Militarily, they have failed. Militarily, they couldn't match, you know, people with AK-47s and hand grenades, really, because not even not long ago they dropped the mother of all bombs the non-nuclear bomb which is the biggest non-nuclear bomb ever made on afghanistan and even then they still weren't able to you just, they just said you know there was a, i can't remember who said it but they said when they when they dropped those bombs i think they said within an hour there's another 90 to 100 people that you killed in that bomb crossing the border from pakistan coming into afghanistan to fight you know there's an endless supply of fighters or mujahideen that's going to fight for the land or fight for islam or fight for you know a cause that's not not what they want so you know america definitely in th- i don't want anyone to take it that i'm saying oh yeah america have won and this is just a, all a part of the plan and whatever i want i want it to be clear that they still lost militarily i, I believe in terms of over and, and i think not just america britain lost militarily there russian russia the soviets lost militarily there the, now the americans have lost militarily it's, it's not easy to, to conquer that part of that of that mm-hmm. land especially those cave structures on those mountains I was just going to say, they don't call it the graveyard of empires exactly. for, for no reason. You know, the British, the Soviets, now the Americans. I was reading an article on BBC uh, website, one of the uh, Taliban uh, generals, I think it was. And uh, this, this is just the mentality of, 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 of those people. Is that He said that jihad is a worship and one never gets tired of worship. Worship, you know yeah, what I mean? I read that. So this is all that they know. You know this yeah. is their mentality. So to have to fight an enemy with that mentality, obviously, is going to be a very, very hard battle. Hard, you know, hard to defeat them because yeah, so, just it's so ingrained in them. But, this is but, all they know. 
Yeah, but the other way to look at it as well, and, and that's key because it's related to this point as well, is that they recognise that them leaving now, having propped up the government, having, you know, supplied the government, trained the government, all of those things, it's, and now that the Taliban feel that they're in a position of strength as well, then what that does is cause more problems in the country. Civil war could still erupt in the country because of the situation that America have left Afghanistan in. As we've seen them do and how Britain have done in the past in other places, this way that the colonialists, the way they work is, okay, it might have cost them trillions. And there's, there's reports that say the Afghanistan war or the Iraq and Afghanistan war combined, the cost of it to the American taxpayer is into the two, three, four trillion dollars. Yeah, but what what it doesn't highlight and that tries to paint it in a negative way towards the West. But what it doesn't highlight is how much strategic advantages they've like steps that they've taken in our lands. They leave our lands in these states where civil war can erupt. They leave our lands in a place where, you know, there are people suffering from poverty, extreme poverty. They leave our lands where it takes years, if not d decades and decades for us to get some degree of normality back. And then they rob all of our mineral, all of our riches as well, because there's lots of reports of from Iraq and Afghanistan. America have taken lots of gold and lots of resources for their own, for themselves. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, we've come here to look, it's cost us. So we're going to take something too. And then you compare like, you know, there's some reports coming out about, you know, how much they spend on war versus the foreign aid that they get, give. It's minuscule in comparison. So whilst, yes, there is this element where no doubt the US have left with a bloody nose, as Cam says, but, you know, they've left our, our lands in a devastating situation and they'll continue to monitor that. And again, any degree of improvement what, what stops them initiating another 9-11 and then being back in there before you know it? It just so happens their populations are, are war-weary. They don't want more war. They don't want more of their troops dying. They don't want that cost that they see on the, in the media. But all it takes is another so-called terrorist attack, you know, spin the, spin the propaganda war. And again, they'll be in there before you know it. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um we shouldn't probably even say like from what you guys have been saying we shouldn't even use the words that they've left because mm. it, it, you know to, to all our listeners and, and viewers out there it clearly shows that they never leave because even when they leave their regime popular regimes behind exactly. um they haven't left the british you know when they uh sort of uh left certain countries or when they were the colonial power they hadn't left. They, they just had puppets there. So they moved from direct colonialism to indirect colonialism. So I think that's a really good point you guys have made. And, and I, it's really dawned upon me now. And, and I hopefully the listeners are sort of taking that in as, as well, that the way the media makes the eyes of the leaving, the reality is, is they never leave. Definitely. It's the same in, uh, in Iraq because uh, the uh, Americans were getting a bloody nose in Iraq when they were fighting before the uh, sectarian yeah, uh, strife occurred, you know, and then they realized that, and then they initiated the Shia and the Sunni conflict, civil war, yeah, civil yeah. war, you know, just so that they could save their own, own, own skin, and then get the population to fight themselves. In Afghanistan, you got the government 
and this is what the Taliban guy was saying as well in the, in the report that they they only rule where they Kabul. can go. Kabul. Kabul, yeah. And everywhere else is uh, is 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 majority Taliban, you know. Yeah. So again, that isn't really helpful to the population. Meaning that again, civil war could just be just around the corner between the government and the and, and the Taliban whenever yeah. they want to you know ignite ignite it. So basically, the, the way they leave these countries, or oh, oh, I'll just sort of contradict <laughs> myself there. But where they try to, where they, they 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 the illusion they they they, uh, they said that they left. In fact, they leave these. Uh, uh, pressure points where they can apply pressure and bring turmoil to that country. So, they, I mean, if you think about it, when the British left India, yeah. you know, they obviously India, Pakistan, then you had the Kashmir issue, you know, as a subcontinent, it, it was never able to stand its own feet because it's always in internal conflict, right? And they control that conflict. So, uh, so that's, that's really important as well. So, I mean, in regards to, would you not say though that um, we're sort of, we're, what we're doing trying what we're doing here is we are trying to be balanced in the sense like you can't take it away from the fact that the Taliban never surrendered mm. that they the fact that they control majority of the country that definitely could not have been in America's plans and the fact that the Americans couldn't deal with them um, suggests that as Cam said from a military point of view from my opinion I would I would second that and say that look the Americans could not beat the the, the Taliban right? Obviously, from a uh, geopolitical uh, reasons, as as Khan mentioned, is that the Americans, you know, if they hadn't achieved their objectives or some of their object- objectives, they they wouldn't have to leave. They wouldn't have to leave. So or show that they're leaving anyway, right? Yeah. So certainly, there's there's that issue there as well. But I want to just 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 sort of like for the last section of the of the podcast, maybe just concentrate a bit about the fact that you know what we have to understand here is. You have America, which is the the unilateral, the global superpower, right? Um, and since uh, two thousand and one, um, I'm sure they went in, or two thousand two, when they went into Afghanistan, they have not been able to defeat uh, a, a band of Muslims who uh, do not have very sophisticated weapons, you know, like Kam said earlier, AK forty sevens and slippers. And they, they weren't able to defeat them. Now, what lessons can we take from this as an ummah uh, when we look at the, the vast the vast resources as an ummah that we have? What do you guys think? Well, the, the simple lesson, and to link it straight to Afghanistan straight away, is that, you know, Afghanistan with a group of people you know, and you're not talking about a, a fully unified entity here as well. We're not talking about, you know, a full-blown army nation where, you know, with all the military hardware and all of that, we're able to do to America what they've done and elongate this. America never would have, regardless of whether it's achieved objectives or not, it would never have said we're going to be there for 20 years with feet on the ground. It never would have wanted that. Yeah. So the fact that the Taliban were able to achieve that, what it highlights to me is that take the the resources in terms of military of the other, just simply just take the Arab lands, yeah? okay. just take purely the Arab lands. We can, if you look at some of the stats in the Arab land, we know that there's more than 2 million soldiers. Yeah, not more than 2 million forces. There's probably another 3 to 4 million of rever- reservists. Reservists, yeah. yeah, okay. So over 5 million just if they wanted to feet on the ground. And this is just the Arab lands, yeah? 
in um, contrast the with, the, with in contrast with US's that have I think around 1.4 million. Exactly, exactly. And on top of that, remember what they're saying now in Afghanistan is one of the concerns. You know, some of the people in Congress they've been saying what you know the people who are questioning Joe Biden for pulling out. What they're saying is, oh, the air support is what has kept um, the likes of the Afghani government in in this position of so-called strength for the time being if america pull their air support then suddenly that gives taliban even more strength yeah or at least it, it will help them further so but then you compare that with the just the air like the jet fighters that the the arab lands have there's over 5000 jet fighters in the arab lands alone you know the arab countries yes we know they're divided yes we know there are borders and we know there are these puppet regimes and these traitorous leaders but that still doesn't take away from the fact that there are 5000 jet fighters there are over a thousand warships and again just arab countries alone um there are 18000 tanks some of the stats that we put out on the votu page recently so i'm just reading those really more than anything else we put these out recently and this is just the arab lands and the the budget that the arab lands have for you know for their foreign policy or for their military yeah uh, it's over 100 billion okay that might not compare completely to the likes of america and china but we're talking just arab lands here when you add turkey when you add the pakistan that we've been speaking about indonesia malaysia and some of these other muslim countries <coughs> just imagine all of that military might across all of those lands if you were to unite that how powerful that would be compared to the fact that it took america over 20 years and then decided to pull out of afghanistan so called yeah oh, so no. just highlights if you added all of that together the only issue is is that division that was caused by them as well that division is caused by them and those puppets that you said earlier as well mad you know the ones that they leave behind it's those people if it wasn't for them and if the muslims had more confidence and really appreciated all of this you know military might that we have just being shackled then imagine how much more easily say we'd be able to well we wouldn't need half of that a quarter of that to liberate al quds for example you know you know you say arab lands why someone argues that you know our our the arab world is finished um, look at syria look at iraq but again it comes down to what they've been carrying out in those lands isn't it a lot of those wars a lot of the 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 battles and so called that we've been seeing there the the arab spring that imi mentioned as well earlier on who has instigated some of these things who has steered the the fight who has tried to you know go in there and fund certain factions is them imagine that wasn't the case and imagine they couldn't come into our lands then you wouldn't have those wars would you what you would have instead is those lands saying look we are one yes we might have some disagreements amongst ourselves but when it comes to an external and a force remember compare this with europe yeah compare it with europe there are a lot of disagreements between say for instance britain and france yeah they have historically as we know a lot of disagreements but what happens with them from an ideological standpoint is when they have an external threat for instance when they see islam as an external threat they come together as allies to fight against that our problem is what what's happened to us is that those people that are in put been put in charge 
of our lands and even some of some muslims themselves we've we've bought into that division such that even though there's an external threat to islam we're not uniting if we mm. realize put our differences aside unite on the basis that we are muslims on our creed and our aqidah unite together against those people who are trying to cause fitna and facade in our lands then imagine with all of this military might how powerful we would be yeah i, th- I think also as well um, when you say arab lands uh, i'm sure just 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 looking um arab lands is is, is about 22 uh, arab league i think is made up of about 22 countries so yeah. sometimes so, when we think about arab lands yeah, exactly. I think we just think of maybe Saudi and and places like that. But North Africa would be uh, all the way to Mauritania is considered mm-hmm. as, and uh, even Somalia is actually considered as Arab land. Sudan, yeah, uh, Sudan oh, yeah. as well. Sudan's mm-hmm. a good example because mm-hmm. we don't just need military might, do we? We need agriculture, we need resources, we need people feeding and stuff. We've got, I think, more than thirty percent of people in the Arab lands are under the poverty line. And apparently, if you look, if you do the research, Sudan alone could sustain, um, from an agricultural point of view, the rest of the Arab lands. These are things we should be aware of or are hidden away from us because it's highlighted, oh, this is the region of war. This is Muslims fighting themselves, infighting, all of these things. But actually, when did all of that really start? It started after the foreign intervention in our lands. Yeah. I think also is, um, I think one of the issues is that we actually look at these these countries without even really um, realizing that we're actually looking at them along geographical lines as well, like nationalistic lines. And so you think in Algeria, you're thinking Morocco and stuff like that. But you know, when you like, if you like, I'm, I, I like history, as you guys know, right? I'm a, the history guy, yeah. And if you do your research on the uh, Abbasid uh, Khilafah, for example, the Umayyad Khilafah, uh, and you see the map where all of North Africa and stuff like that, right? There's no lines. These lines were drawn afterwards. Mm. So that was basically one one region. It's mm. like one one country, yeah? It's actually like one country, and with, which was made up of different wilayas, i.e. different... Um, um, provinces. provinces, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think when we... When we think of it in that respect, and actually linking to what you said, Raj, is a really good point. Europe, you know, if you know about the the 30-year war, uh, if you know about European history, these guys hate each other, right? Mm. Now think about this. These guys come across as an EU or they come across as being united, right? But they have different, different languages. They have different cultures, right? Okay, they might look similar, right? They're quite pale. Uh, all of them and that's just uh, like a, 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 an observational reality it's until they start people. using fake tan but then still be racist uh, at the same time that's what i'm saying yeah but but generally you'd say that they, they look similar in that respect right but you look at now the lands that you mentioned the arab lands you know one thing is you know you know when i was in hajj or umrah and stuff like that one thing that i really used to feel jealous about um in a good way was that you know, I could be with a guy from who's like uh, from Saudi, right? And we just bump into someone from Sudan. And these guys are, you know, yalla habibi and all this. And they're, they're like just chatting like as if they've known each other for years, right? Then they meet a Moroccan. And, and you're sitting there thinking, 
you know what? A, I don't know what they're talking about. And secondly, you know, I'm the guy that knows this guy for ages, but it comes across as this guy's been knowing the guy for ages. And, you know, I always thought that, look at that connection there. So now you have Europe who historically have been enemies, who still are enemies, because you know, but it's, they've got a, a uni, uh, like a, a coalition which is based on uh, convenience. But the Arab lands, Arab lands, they have the, the, they're the same people. They have the same deen. They have the same language. They even have the same culture. But they're more divided than the Europeans. Subhanallah, yeah. how's that possible? And let me, uh, let, me, let me put in a verse of the Quran there that really highlights this. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in, in Surah Al-Hashr, and, 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 and pay attention to this because this is exactly what you're talking about, actually. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even united, they would not dare fight against you except from within fortified strongholds or from behind walls. Their malice for each other is intense. You think they are united, yet their hearts are divided. That is because they are people with no real understanding. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe to all of our socials, especially YouTube. And if for any reason you're not enjoying this podcast, then please make sure to contact us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what we can do better and how we can improve. Jazakallah khair. You know, and even if you just reflect on that, that's exactly what it is. You know, let's say even united, i.e. yes, there is a chance they will become united against you. But even united, their hearts are divided. You know, then they, you know, they, they have no real understanding and their malice for each other is intense. Yeah. You know, they, they intensely hate each other, but that's how much they hate Islam that they'll unite against you. Yeah. And that's and my we've point. Not, and that, we've that not even mentioned you, like uh, that verse gives you goosebumps. Mm. You know, even even like the even the strategic areas of the of that of that land, um, you know, whether it's the sea routes and not just that, is is you know, think about it. If America's coming to attack one of those countries, right, it's always had its bases in neighboring Muslim countries. So for example, when he was attacking Afghanistan, it was based out of Pakistan, right? Yeah. <laughs> they can't they can't come to the Muslim lands, right, and then do their business and then go back. You know, on a on a on a full on a on a, on a full tank, right? They're gonna have to fuel at some stage, right? Exactly. It's not possible. You couldn't sustain a, a war like that. Yeah. So imagine this one block with its yeah. roots, with the Suez Canal, with the uh, the Straits of Hormuz, with the Bosphorus. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Uh, and, and and to and to put some reality into perspective with that with that uh, verse, the at the time of um, Americans going into Afghanistan. Why were the Russians on board with it? Because they told the Russians that this is an Islamic threat. This is an Islamic sentiment on your border. Exactly. Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. And historically, even the Soviet-Afghan war was because Soviets wanted to maintain their power in that part Mm. of the world and Americans and the British and whoever that that were against them. So why didn't they similarly do the same with the the Afghan war with the US? Why why were they so open? Because they knew of the bigger threat, which was Islam, and they were happy for them to go in and and deal with the Taliban. So so it was convenient for them. Yeah, yeah. So they were united in that sense, but still they hate each other to to the guts, really. And just uh, just on someone like Rush said, you know, uh, throw in the likes of Pakistan, Turkey, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, even Iran, um, 
and it becomes a formidable 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 force um but it's like as if we never think of it that way why because even we've been tricked by these 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 uh, these borders uh imi what are you saying yeah i was just to say that's exactly right muslims uh, should look beyond their own borders and mm. see the muslim other countries as one land as mm. it was before so i've started off with one small place called medina subhanallah and it covered three continents yeah mm-hmm. and that's how we should see it uh, spread it's a mm-hmm. it's a state with frontiers not with mm-hmm. borders because like you said the british and the french sax pico in 1990 1919 they're the ones who over whiskey pencil and ruler just carved up the the, the khilafah the ottoman state it's sad bro and, and then we're, we're just following we're just thinking within these with within these borders it's yeah. as if we can't see beyond our noses you yeah, have to see the big that. picture the other thing is, is you know, some countries you can say, okay, they might have like, um, you know, those people were different culturally, right? In some countries, just say like, I'm thinking of an example, just say Pakistan and, and actually Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. To be honest with you, culturally they're quite similar. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, like some Muslim lands where they made borders between them, right? You know, before before uh, Islam came. Um, Actually, no, not before Islam came. Even when Islam came to those countries, those countries, which are non-Arab countries, they still kept a lot of the culture which was pre-Islamic, right? Um, but what you're going to understand is with the Arab world, it really was like a melting pot. Hmm. And they did melt and become truly one where, where they, were, they were completely the same. And that's what I'm telling you. When there's a, when there's a guy from Algeria, from Syria, and me was sitting around, Honestly, those guys are going off like as if, you know, they're relatives, right? Um, because that's just the way it is. And it's not even just the language, their culture, their food, the way they think that it's, 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 it's completely the same, right? So those lines in those lands are truly, truly artificial. But like you're saying, Imi, why can't we see beyond this? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, Islam spread over three continents. But then, because they had the Arabic language, mm. and stuff with that's what they could understand Islam more better, I'd say. Mm. And so you had the Romans, the Arabs themselves, Abyssinians, whatever. Yeah. Once Islam came to them and they had that Arabic language, their culture became one. Yeah. What's what? What Romans have to do with Abyssinians? You know, yeah. two completely different people. But as soon as yeah. Islam came, their culture was one, based on the Islamic culture. And also as well is an observation here because obviously we're all non-Arabs um, is that what my observation has been is that, you know, in regards to the uh, the Arab world and the non-Arab world, Muslim world, right, is uh, whether it's Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, wherever, right, um, the the culture, I, it, if you look at those cultures, they have, they it's easier to bring in uh, whether it's superstition or whether it's pre-Islamic type of jahil ideas, uh, and people still carry those, right? Than it was in the Arab lands because of the Arabic language, mm. right? Mm. So because they and, and not just that, the places where, where which they were ruled by the Islamic state for like centuries and centuries, those places are different to, for example, Indonesia and, and the people who are from Indonesia, have, 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 they, they would agree with this that. The way their Islam is, it's a bit more fluid in a way, right? But in the Arab land, that's where basically here in the West, someone can be 
giving you a, a, a hadith in Arabic, totally misrepresenting it, and you'll be saying, MashaAllah, whoa, what a wicked point, yeah? But now he tries out with an Arab, right? He doesn't say, what are you trying about, man? That doesn't even mean that. You understand what I'm saying? So you can see why there is so much effort on them trying to, mm. trying to disunite and trying to uh, corrupt the Arab lands because in reality, the, you cannot disconnect the Arabic language from Islam. Definitely. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, Subhanallah. I mean, I think the, the, everyone's made made a good point. It's, it's 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 an optimistic point to to be you know bringing to to a close the fact that um, if in Afghanistan the Americans were able to wipe out a a sort of like a, you know a mujahideen force if you want to even call it that. Now you have the Turkish drones, you have the you know the Pakistani uh, air force, air force, yeah, and you have the Algerian you know, uh, feet on the ground. Tur- you know, Turkey's navy is supposed to be now the p- most powerful navy in the region as well. You've got you, a, a big-time navy and, and you know, subhan- you can imagine how it just would be a matter of time uh, before the, the rest of the world would actually be on his knees. And I, and that's, that's no exaggeration. That's no exaggeration. But first and foremost, as Muslims, we need to, we need to appreciate that. Um, but okay, guys, is, is, is there any final final comments on the, on this this topic before I take your final thoughts for this uh, for this podcast? Um, no, not really. I, I wanted to mention another the verse of the Quran actually, um, which is more it, to do with um, just where when Muslims feel like you know that they'll they'll never be united again. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people that have that. Oh yeah, no, but he prays this way, he prays that way, or he you know Shia Sunni issue, and they feel like it's impossible. But you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the in the Quran in uh, Surah Al Imran, said, Remember Allah's favor towards you when you were enemies. He united your hearts so you became brothers because of his favors. You were on the brink of a fiery pit and he saved you from it. Thus Allah explains his signs to you so that you may be guided. You know, I think in that in, in that verse it's referring to sort of Al and Khusra just I assume yeah. at the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, similarly, we can take the same lessons yeah. today from that. And, and and those Muslims who say that we've got so many divisions, yeah, we haven't got divisions. Like I said, we've got in prayers, how we pray, that's not a division. Okay. That's just yes, a I'm difference division. of opinion. But yeah. even the secularists, you get different forms of secularism. Exactly. You get hardcore secularism, you get liberal secularism. End of the day, they're united. Mm. You know what I mean? And then just, got... just, just, just give me a quick point. Though. I was trying to Shaz the other day and he was saying, Okay, you might see Muslims might be it might appear they're disunited at the start of Ramadan at the and at the end of Ramadan the days, but in Ramadan they're united, aren't they? You know exactly. That's right. They're, as if the difference of opinion doesn't even exist in uh, yeah. Ramadan. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the example you gave, uh, Cam, um, it was the you know it, there are parallels to today where there was a Jewish man. And he was sitting there and he was looking at the Aus and Hasraj together as brothers. Mm-hmm. And it was burning him and it was it was killing him, thinking that these people, you know, they were they used to be at war and we used to profit from it, right? Mm-hmm. So what did he do? He spoke to a young Jewish boy and he gave him instructions. Go, go to the, the Aus and Hasraj where they're sitting and recite the poetry of like Battle of Buath and the, the battles before where their nobles had died. And mm-hmm. and if you think about it, the boy went there. And these are Sahaba that I'm talking about here. And what mm. happened? Because of the, his his because of him inciting them, they actually formed a battle formation, and they even they even pulled out their 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 banners and stuff, which were from before Islam. 
And when the Messenger sallallahu wasallam, when he went there and he saw this and he said to them that you know you're calling to the slogans of Jahiliyyah whilst I'm still here, right? Hmm. And the point I'm making here is the fact that in the same way the Jewish boy was instigating division between the people there, they're gonna they're never gonna stop doing that. They're gonna keep doing that. But a big difference is here is that you know when the messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam When he was there And when they When the, it dawned upon The Aus and Hasraj What they were going to do They started to cry Right they, they couldn't believe What they were going to do But the point I'm making is They had something Which they could bond around They had something Which they could unite around Which was the messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Right He was there to settle the disputes And after him The Khulafa Rashida they were there to settle the disputes. And after them, the various khulafa as well. So what we see is that by human nature, by human nature, you need uh, a, a, a unilateral point to bond around. That's just, that's just a fact. In, in the house, mm. it's the father as an example, right? Obviously, in the West, it might be a mother and a mother and a father and a father or whatever, right? <laughs> but generally, the way it works is the man is the you know alpha male, alpha, alpha... Alpha male. <laughs> alpha, alpha male, yeah. Alpha male. So he's the one who's, you know, and then it widens and it widens, but there's always someone in charge. At the moment, the ummah wants to unite. If you ask anyone, they want to unite. But, but without having that, that point, that unification point, without having that, um, it's going to be different. It's actually impossible. So I think, you know, part of making a comparison to the example you gave is that they will keep inciting, they will keep inciting divisions, whether it's, you know, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, whether it's Sunni Shia, whether it's Deobandi and Brilvi, you know, they will always do these, this thing. But until, you know, we don't have that thing to bond around, they can get away with these tricks and their plots. Hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we see that. It's, uh, we make things difficult for ourselves. It's very, very easy if you have the same reference point yeah Allah i'm just uh, I'm, I'm gonna end my with the verse as well yeah As allah says that if you differ in anything amongst yourselves refer it to allah and his messenger if you believe in allah on the last day that is the best and most commendable in the end see so it's, it's, it's very easy we just make things difficult for ourselves if we have the same reference point we can easily be uh, united yeah but you know just, just to add on that point is that there's there's a prerequisite to, to to applying that verse in a way I believe, is that, you know, you have to be willing, you have to be willing, to be able to be on the wrong out wrong side of the outcome, right? When you mm. refer back to that reference point, mm. you, you take a loss. Yeah, you have to be you, able to take a loss. Yeah, you have to be able to take a loss, mm. right? Because the reference point is what what is more important. But if as Muslims our reference point is our benefit and whatever. Mm then it's a bit more difficult. So you have to both acknowledge and accept that. And we see that, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, you can't, you can't go against the ayat there. But anyway, listen, let, let's get some final thoughts. Rush, um, if you have any final thoughts to the podcast, bro, let me, let us know some pearls, of, drop some pearls of wisdom, bro. No, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do the same as I normally do, but I'm just going to mention some words of Sayyid Qutb. Um, may Allah be pleased with him and grant him Jannah because I think it fits quite nicely with what we've discussed. He says, um, the unique Quranic generation 
you know, the first generation, they were the people who were once stooped in barbarity, but Islam revolutionized them and elevated them to the peak of human perfection. Islam changed their hearts, molded their character, uprooted their ignorance and reconstructed their society in the noblest and most divine fashion. They were the Arabs who were the verge of self-destruction owing to their lawlessness, vulgarity, stupidity and, and, the, and to use the Quranic terminology, their ignorance, so jahiliya. They were the people despised by the then two superpowers the Persians in the East and the Romans in the West, to the extent that neither of them even wanted to conquer them. SubhanAllah. Next level, isn't it? So it just highlights, look, what was it that brought that power amongst the Muslims initially? It was Islam. We mm. still have that Islam. What we've added today in today's discussion, we've taken Islam and we've added all of that military might that we now have. They didn't originally have that. But those Romans and the Persians saw them as backwards people. But how were they able to completely take over all of those lands? And, to, you know, so many Muslim people, you know, Romans and Persians come into Islam because of that pure understanding of Islam, for the correct understanding yeah. of Islam. And we have that still today. So my message is that we just need to go back to that. And then all of this extra military might will just mean that we already have that strength from the beginning. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Brother, Brother Kam, final, final thoughts? Uh, to be honest, I don't have any final, final thoughts, but I want to, yeah, I don't want to take up the time uh, based on what Rash said. That's, that's, a, that's a really good, that's a, as we say, that's a thick point. That's a <laughs> so sick point. I'll leave it on that, really. I don't want to add more okay. to it. No worries. Uh, Brother Amy? Yeah, I'm just saying everyone made some heavy points and sick points. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, the... Uh, I think the, the main message from this should be that the Muslims shouldn't be defeatist, should not have the defeatist mentality. When we see what's happening in the Muslim world, you know, in in every other country, I think there's chaos and anarchy and the Muslims are in a bad situation. But if we look at the the Muslim world in its entirety, rather than individual countries, if you, if you view things, if you see a nation, a, a, as an individual country, then you're going to be defeated, defeated mentality, because yeah. these states on their own, they're pathetic. They're not worth anything, you know? And, but when you look at the Muslim Ummah as a whole, collectively, and you put all their resources, the military, the demographics, everything comes together, that's what makes a superpower. Yeah. And that's what, that's what should give Muslims the, the confidence. SubhanAllah, yeah. Uh, SubhanAllah, spot on, bro. Um, the only thing I would, I'd like to add to that is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed this ummah with iman, but he has also blessed this ummah with so many advantages, whether it's the strategic lands, whether it's the population, whether it's the minerals, uh, whether it's the you know oil and gas. We're in a location of the world where basically, you know, um, any other any other nation, if they control that that area they would be the superpower of the world. And actually, America is the superpower of the world because they do control the area. But if the Muslims can take their destiny in their own hands, and you know, we can see that combined with this beautiful Iman that we have, and adding to what materialistic or what material advantages and benefits we have, then 
we are unstoppable and what we must remember and this is a message to 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 all the all the listeners uh, i want to second what imi said we shouldn't have a defeatist mentality we are from we are the descendants of those at badr at those at handak at those at yarmouk at hitin we are the descendants of those people and if those people were able to overcome all odds without having the advantages we have today as an ummah how is it possible that we are in this situation when if we just look at the history books the actual blueprint of our success and victory is there in the quran and sunnah so uh, i'll leave it on that point uh, first and foremost jazakallah khair to my lovely co-hosts it was brilliant to have you guys on i hope uh, that uh, your throats are not too dry after all this talking because we still have quite a few hours to go i'm sure imi i know imi imi is the sort of person to to take a nap now until uh, <laughs> the maghrib yeah but no i'm, I'm energized bro i'm energized I'm energized mashallah mash well you're in normanton bro so you know you got to be energized so you get mugged so much but uh, but yeah so jazakallah for you guys and also to our uh, audience you know those listening and watching this guys please subscribe to all our channels whether it's the youtube channel uh, the voice of the umma instagram facebook channels and please share this with your family and your friends if you found this beneficial uh, let's spread the message and certainly this this last message that the brothers have, have spoke about is something which as muslims we need to understand and we need to be proactive by spreading this amongst our friends amongst our families and amongst the muslims of the world on that note assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh